we want to welcome you to a special edition of At Issue out at the Minnesota State Fair, a place where there's food, music, and yes, plenty of politics to go around, especially this year in a huge election year. Hello, everyone. I'm Tom Hauser. Every other year, the Minnesota State Fair becomes a sort of political campaign headquarters, and it has a rich political history. In fact, it was here at the fair in 1901 where then Vice President Teddy Roosevelt first used his now famous phrase, speak softly and carry a big stick. A few days later, he actually became president following the assassination of President William McKinley. Roosevelt returned to the Minnesota State Fair in 1912 when he attempted another run at president. Looks like another good day at the fair. You a Harley rider? I don't believe in politics, I believe in results. And who can forget former Governor Jesse Ventura? He changed the way politicians interact with potential voters out here at the State Fair. Ventura became a serious contender after appearing at the State Fair 20 years ago, back in 1998. The momentum that started here at the fair propelled him to winning the governor's race. Again, that was 20 years ago. Now, that strategy is something Minnesota candidates have been trying to replicate ever since. So don't be surprised if you run into a few political candidates out here at the fair during this busy election year. Yeah, have a wonderful day. The Minnesota State Fair is a politician's dream. 200,000 people a day in one place at one time. Many of them potential voters. Hi, folks. Jim Walsh. Good to meet you. And for fair goers, it's a chance to meet candidates who might be the state's next governor or member of Congress. It's just the best place to be, and it really feels like uh, the politics can be hopeful. People are starting to, to get to know uh, me and having conversations with folks one-on-one. Democrat Tim Walls and his lieutenant governor running mate Peggy Flanagan plan to be here almost every day of the fair. Republican U.S. Senate candidate Karen Housley greeted fairgoers early on opening day with enthusiastic supporters. Hello. It was a little quieter at the Independence Party booth as they keep trying to regain major party status in Minnesota. We're a, a party that's a moderate party. We're fiscally conservative and socially tolerant. You are the ones that are going to bring it. Democrat Dean Phillips popped up at the DFL party booth as he tries to beat Republican incumbent Congressman Eric Paulson. I used to go to Machinery Hill as a three-year-old and sit on tractors, and now I've got my own booth. My great-grandfather was a state legislator in 1921. While Republican congressional candidates Greg Ryan and Jennifer so Zielinski campaigned the at the Republican candidate. Party booth. And on the other side of that is my grandma's Swedish meatball recipe. So. I think people are just tired of the stalemate in Washington. I think a lot of people are really excited to vote this year and see a little bit of change, whether it's on the DFL GOP now, Greg Ryan in the 4th District is trying to unseat Democrat Betty McCollum. Jennifer Zielinski is trying to win Keith Ellison's seat in a race against Democrat Ilan Omar. Both of them realize they're huge long shots in those heavily Democratic districts, but they're out here at the fair making their case to voters. Now, the candidates in one of the tightest congressional races in the country met for their first debate this week in St. Louis Park. Republican Congressman Eric Paulson faced off with Democratic challenger Dean Phillips. I co-moderated Tuesday's debate, which exposed many sharp differences between the candidates. Uh, but I know Jim Ramstad, and you're no Jim Ramstad. 
The two candidates engaged in occasionally feisty debate, like when they talked about who would best represent the 3rd District, like former longtime Republican Congressman Jim Ramstead. Jim Ramstead supports me, and I'm proud to have his support. The two also battled over the impact of the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, which Paulson voted for and said is leading to an economic boom. Weak growth, which is what we were seeing under the last eight years, was not acceptable. Sure, people like Dean Phillips and those who are well off will do fine under those circumstances. But the rest of us, we won't do well in an economic depression. And that was only just around the corner. Phillips said there are parts of the tax bill he likes, but he would focus more on middle class tax cuts. But the promise of this bill was to accrue benefits to the middle class. I'm afraid that 80% of the benefits went to people who don't need it and corporations that frankly don't need it. They also differed on health care, including Phillips' proposal to allow anyone to buy into the government's Medicare health insurance plan while also fixing parts of the Affordable Care Act. I think when Dean talks about a Medicare buy-in, that's no different than expanding Medicare that is already in tough straits for the future. I believe expanding Medicare is a buy-in option. By the way, buy-in means that people pay for the insurance. It is a simple, thoughtful, decent way to ensure that there's an option for everybody in this country to have insurance. Another big difference emerged on the issue of whether Minnesota should give sanctuary to illegal immigrants. And I think short term, I would do so because I think it is the human thing to do and that's the American thing to do. I am not in favor of sanctuary cities. I'm not in favor of sanctuary states. We should be following the laws that we have. Now, believe it or not, the two candidates did agree on one thing. They will participate in several more debates before the November election. Now that all the matchups are set for Minnesota's congressional races, analysts are taking a close look at which seats are truly up for grabs in Minnesota. One national pollster shows our state is leading the way with the most competitive races. Eric Shalou goes in-depth with what could happen. Here's what you can see when you look at the 538's House election forecast. The light view only shows local and national polls. You can go deeper into the data. Another option allows you to add what you saw, but then mix in fundraising and voting trends. Finally, the deepest dive lets you take all of what you saw, but then adds in the opinions of other election experts. And as you can see, it provides a much different view. Minnesota, certainly for its size, has a ridiculously disproportionate uh, number of competitive seats. I don't know of any other state that has half of its districts, fully half of its districts, um, competitive. Let's dig into their classic projection. It shows no change in party control in the 4th, 5th, and 6th districts. And in the 7th, the Democrat likely holds on to the office. But in the 1st, a toss-up for the open seat. Closer to the metro in the 2nd and 3rd districts, it shows Republican incumbents trailing Democratic challengers. And the traditionally blue-leaning 8th, leaning red. Oh, I think this far out there'll be a lot of skepticism. Carlin College professor Stephen Shear says the 2016 presidential election forecast may be behind that too, but he was very intrigued by this data. Oh, Which it would definitely be? be the uh, third. It would, uh, when they have uh, Eric Paulson, who won by 14 points, likely to lose his seat two years later, that is dramatic, and that really surprised me. The 538 updates forecast daily, but staff says don't expect the national attention coming to Minnesota to change. There are going to be a lot of campaign ads. Uh, there's going to be a lot of campaign activity, uh, for sure. I'm kind of jealous of you guys. Eric Shalou, 5 Eyewitness News.
And the 538 staff says an important takeaway is that relatively small shifts could allow Republicans to keep control of the House or could turn a blue wave into a tsunami. Now, Vice President Mike Pence is set to make yet another visit to Minnesota this coming week. He's scheduled to attend a fundraising event for the state Republican Party Thursday in Bloomington. Tickets for that event range from $150 all the way up to $2,500. Pence also visited Minnesota earlier this month when he campaigned in Duluth for congressional candidate Pete Stauber. No word yet on whether or not Pence might make a visit out here to the Minnesota State Fair. He may be tempted by some of those cookies or pronto pops. Who knows? Well, up next, we'll be joined by Ember Reichgott Young and Andy Brim for political analysis and our five eyewitness news truth test series continues, this time with an ad attacking the court record of 8th District candidate Joe Radinovich. Thanks for joining us here at the fair. We'll be right back. And welcome back to At Issue at the Minnesota State Fair. We're glad to be out here. A new attack ad is out. No surprise in this very hectic election season we're embarking on. This one focuses on one of the candidates running in Minnesota's hotly contested 8th Congressional District. It targets the court record of Democrat Joe Radinovich. He is challenging Republican Pete Stauber for that open seat, and we put this new ad through the truth test. Joe Radinovich votes to raise our taxes, but refuses to pay his own bills. This TV ad from the Conservative Congressional Leadership Fund starts by highlighting a key vote by then-Democratic Minnesota House member Joe Radinovich in 2013. Radinovich voted for a $2 billion tax hike, hurting working families. It is true Radinovich voted for an omnibus tax bill in 2013 that raised $1.1 billion through a new tax bracket for the state's highest earners. It also raised $430 million in taxes on cigarettes and other tobacco products, closed $400 million in corporate tax loopholes, and increased taxes on some estates. It's an opinion to say it hurt working families. But Radinovich was cited 30 times for not paying court fines. This is mostly true, but incorrectly worded. Minnesota judicial records confirm the 32-year-old Radinovich has been cited 31 times between 2004 and 2018 for traffic violations ranging from speeding to parking to no proof of insurance to driving after revocation, including 14 citations between 2016 and 2018. The TV ad doesn't mention it, but Radinovich has had his driver's license revoked or suspended four times, including in March of 2018, before being reinstated in April. And after refusing to pay his bills, Radinovich was turned over to a collection agency eight times. This is true. Dating back to 2013, Radinovich fines have been referred to collection agencies eight times after non-payment. In fact, Three unpaid fines dating back nearly a year were paid back just this week. Higher taxes for us, unpaid bills for him. Because this TV ad sticks to facts confirmed through state legislative and judicial records and offers just one opinion without much context, it gets an A- on the truth test.
Now, court records also show the fines and fees ranged from $32 all the way up to $306 and totaled over $2,800 and were accumulated in 10 different Minnesota counties. Now, a spokesperson for the Radinovich campaign downplayed the significance of his court record, calling them, quote, primarily parking tickets and a few speeding tickets going back over a decade. They also then went on to criticize the influence of outside spending by special interest groups. And of course, it was the Congressional Leadership Fund that paid for that. You can go to the Vote 2018 page at KSTP.com to see all of our truth tests. You can also let us know if there are any ads or political material you might receive in the mail that you would like us to put through the truth test. Well, we've got a lot to talk about today in political anal and analysis. And joining me, Andy Brem, former staff member of Senator Norm Coleman, and Ember Reichgott Young, a former Minnesota state senator. Let's have a round of applause for both of them out here joining us today at the Minnesota State Fair. Let's start by talking about this ad about Joe Radinovich. We did go and we verified everything, Ember, that was in that ad. That's why the ad got an A minus. How important is this? As voters go into a voting booth, how important is it somebody's driving record that is that extensive? Well, you might recall that about 12 years ago, Congressman Ellison had about a dozen parking tickets, but that did not deter his election. So I guess it depends on the constituency. But in this case, I am fearful about it because it looks like he, there is more than parking tickets here, and that is serious, and a number of fines. Unfortunately, the 8th District is not really lined up well for Democrats. Mr. Stauber is a strong candidate. He didn't have a primary, and so I don't think this is going to help uh, uh, Mr. Radinovich. Yeah, because the Keith Ellison case, of course, he was in a heavily Democratic district where it was not expected to be close. 8th District is once again expected to be razor close. Yeah, I mean, I think this is very serious stuff. I mean, everyone's had a parking ticket now and then, or even a speeding ticket. But this is a pattern of very reckless behavior, and then not even taking the simple uh, actions to pay their bills. So again, I think this represents a legitimate issue and how we'd like to govern. You know, kind of reckless in your personal life, a little reckless probably when it comes to spending and how you'd be voting in Washington. So I. I cut everybody a little slack for a mistake now and then, but this is a legitimate pattern. And it's difficult to make the case that, all oh, this happened so many years ago. Uh, some of them were just this year. Uh, he had his license suspended or revoked earlier this year in March of 2018. We'll see how that plays out. Now, in the third district, there was a debate between Eric Paulson and Dean Phillips, another one of our razor-close congressional races. Andy, uh, I imagine you got to see most or some of that. What do you make of, of how the two candidates did? Well, I think Eric Paulson did a great job. I mean, he's in the fight for his political life. He knows it. Eric's working really hard. But at the end of the day, there are some claims made there that were just absurd. I mean, first of all, Jim Ramsa did a wonderful job representing that district. And Dean Phillips is trying to tell people somehow he doesn't support Eric. I was just with him a couple weeks ago. I know for a fact that Jim does strongly. So Eric's got a great record. He represents that district well. Just two years ago when the district went heavily for Hillary Clinton, he won handedly. So he's not taking anything for granted. He's working hard. But Eric's a workhorse. Dean Phillips doesn't have a record to run on because he hasn't done anything. And the Donald Trump factor is what we don't know. Right. He's voted with Donald Trump 98% of the time. Eric Paulson has. That's exactly the point I was going to make. So Dean Phillips is also working very hard. He's a very strong candidate. And the polls right now show that he is likely, more likely than not, to win that race uh, over Eric Paulson. Why? Because Eric Paulson has voted with 
the president 98% of the time. You know that he's trying to get himself away from that, but he's done nothing as a Republican to, to try to get the Republicans to hold the president accountable. And we should point out Republicans have been getting elected to that seat since 1961, so if Dean Phillips wins it, that would truly be a historic victory. Let's take a look at quickly at some uh, political polling that was done by Suffolk University in the St. Cloud Times. Governor's race, you see Tim Walls, the Democrat, with a five-point lead. Let's move on to the Senate race. Smith uh, with a seven-point lead over Housley. But look at the undecideds, 18 percent. I think it was 11 in the governor's race. And then Klobuchar with a 20-point lead over Jim Newberger, again, 11 percent undecided. Is the biggest takeaway here, Ember, all of the undecideds in all three of these races? And they're closer than I would have thought right now, actually. But I think that for the governor's race that uh, Congressman Walls will have an advantage by having that base in that southern part of Minnesota. That's going to be hugely helpful for him. Um, and I think it's going to be close, but uh, I do think he's going to have the edge. In that Smith-Housley race, again, 17 or 18 percent undecided. That's a big number that they both have to go after. It's a big race, and Corinne Housley's an excellent candidate, so I expect that to be very tight. And in the governor's race, I mean, Jeff Johnson, I supported Tim Pawlenty in the primary because I didn't think Jeff was a winner. Well, he proved me wrong. He won against, uh, even though he was heavily outfunded, so I'm very optimistic that that's going to be a tight race and that Jeff's going to do well. So we'll see. Minnesotans are very independent voters, and a lot of people are tuned out of politics, understandably so. Five seconds. You might remember that Jeff Johnson lost by only five percentage points to Mark Dayton uh, a number of years ago. So he is definitely competitive. All right, let's have a round of applause for Ember Reichgott Young and Andy Bram out here with excellent political analysis as always. Now up next, I'll be joined by Mike Erlinson and Annette Meeks for Face Off. We'll be back in two minutes at issue at the Minnesota State Fair. And welcome back out here to the Minnesota State Fair. Time now for our face-off segment. Joining me today, Mike Erlinson, former DFL State Party Chair, and Annette Meeks from the Freedom Foundation, also former Deputy Chief of Staff for Newt Gingrich in Congress. Let's talk about uh, what has gone on in Washington, D.C. Both of you have worked in congressional offices out there in Washington, D.C. There was really a tsunami of bad news for President Trump including from his personal lawyer, uh, Mark Cohen, Paul Manafort, uh, none of it good news. Uh, Mike, what impact might these things have on our congressional races here in Minnesota? All these races, as we've talked about this show, that are so close. Well, there's no question it's going to have an impact on the races because people are going to continue to have to make the decision, do they defend the President of the United States of America and try to stand behind the public policies that he's putting forward but are getting drowned out by his personal problems and the problems of those people around him, whether it's tax fraud by his chairman of his campaign committee um, or the illegal payoffs that could have been campaign contributions indirectly by his uh, fix-it lawyer um, paying off uh, women to be quiet. And that now the National Enquirer is brought into this situation where they were systematically purchasing all bad news stories from whoever wanted to share them and then sliding them into a secret vault. And, Annette, what Republicans are doing, and I know I've uh, talked to some people and I've read some things this week about Republicans are trying to distance themselves from Trump without alienating Trump supporters, which is a, a fine line uh, to walk, but they've got to get voters to come out and vote for their local candidate and not make this a referendum on Donald Trump. Well, and Donald Trump won't be on the ballot this November, thankfully, for a lot of candidates. But, you know, i got to remind people, when they voted for Donald Trump, people 
knew they were not electing a Boy Scout. Uh, people knew what they were getting. They wanted change in Washington. That's what they've got. And between now and the election day is an eternity for these campaigns. There'll be many more twists and turns, and there'll be many times people will want to stand behind the president, especially when they're talking about some of the tax cuts and regulation cuts he's done in Washington. And you always hear it's the economy, stupid. And the economy right now is booming. The stock market is booming. Unemployment is down. All of those things are trending in the right direction. But is it going to be enough? in these midterms, which generally do not favor the party that's holding the White House. So we'll see what happens with that. Speaking of our local congressional races, you saw the story about uh, Joe Rodinovich and his court record. We saw a debate in the 3rd District. Either of those things change the way you're looking at those races right now? I don't think they change much, uh, but they're going to be hotly contested races, right? We have four congressional races in Minnesota. You mentioned two of them that are going to be 51 to 49, very likely. And so we could have as many as five new members, of, or we as members of Congress from Minnesota, because the fifth congressional district will for sure have a new member of Congress. Your thoughts? I think they will be very contested, and I think people, most people, are not paying attention right now. But I think this is the tip of the iceberg. We're going to see right after the state fair just a deluge of of independent expenditure ads in the third, in the eighth, and probably in the uh, second and third as well. That's yeah, going to be tens of millions of yes. dollars, no question about it. You alluded to the one member of Congress who isn't coming back because he decided to run for attorney general. That is Keith Ellison. He's got his own issues he's dealing with, the allegations of uh, domestic violence that have still not been fully answered. How is that going to impact Keith Ellison? I think it should impact him a great deal. I think it is shameful that somebody's running to be the chief law enforcement officer of our state has a record of domestic violence against women, um, alleged domestic yes. violence. I want to against point women. out it is an allegation. You um, have but it's gone back a decade, and he needs to answer those allegations truthfully and forthrightly. Final word on this. Well, and Al Franken stepped forward and asked for a congressional investigation. And now he ultimately was run out of the Senate before that happened. But Congressman Ellison maybe should step forward and ask for a congressional investigation as well to put this behind him. The reality is that it's a very difficult situation. And just like many Republican candidates might not want to stand with Tr Donald Trump, it's a problem right now because no Democrat wants to stand with the candidate for attorney general. Yeah, that is going to be another fine line to walk, so we'll be keeping an eye on that. Mike Erlinson and Annette Meeks, let's have a round of applause for Mike and Annette. Once again, a great job here on Face Off. We'll be right back at issue at the Minnesota State Fair. It's a play that Minnesota Vikings fans won't ever forget, and now you can have a replica of the so-called Minnesota Miracle Play in bobblehead form. This bobblehead shows Stefan Diggs and Case Keenum in that iconic play from last year's playoff game against the Saints. It's being produced by the Bobblehead Hall of Fame. I didn't even know there was a Bobblehead Hall of Fame. That's all the time we have for now. We want to thank everyone who joined us here at the Minnesota State Fair. We hope to see you again next week for another edition of At Issue.